Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who was a starting point guard for UCLA Bruins when they won three state, three straight NCAA Men's Division I basketball championships in 1970, 71, and 72 under the legendary head coach John Wooden. He helped lead the Bruins through the first 47 games of an 88-game winning streak, was named All-American his senior year. He was one of only four players to have started on three NCAA championship teams. The other all played for Wooden at UCLA, Lou Alcindor, Curtis Rowe, and Lynn Shackelford. In the 1972 NBA draft, he was drafted by the New York Knicks, as well as in the NBA by the Carolina Cougars. Spent nine seasons in the NBA as a player, another 34 years coaching. It is a pleasure to welcome the man who won six championships as a player or coach and is the only person to win titles in the NBA as a player, CBA as a coach, and NCAA as a player. The one and only Henry Bibby to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Henry. Hey, I, I really appreciate it. Can you be my agent? I need an agent like you to go out and do that for me, okay? You got it. Uh, I, I'll only take you 5% too. You date me so too. far back, too. Gosh almighty. How you, why you have to date me so far back? <laughs> Guess what? I go back that far wait, as wait. well. You so. have the questions about your elementary school basketball career. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you come from a very athletic family. Your brother Jim was a two-time 19-game winner in the major leagues. Your older brother Fred was a fine athlete as well. Size-wise, Jim was six foot five, and you're six foot one. So each of you kind of seemed suited to the other sports. I know both of you were good at the others. Your high school baseball coach, James Forster, felt that you could have been a major leaguer. He said that you had all the tools, arm, glove, stick, but you didn't like the game. You said it was too static, too easygoing, too boring for you. Looking back, how do you think you would have made it as a major league baseball player, and how would have Jim done as an NBA player? Well, we, we know Jim was a bad basketball player, so he, he couldn't have made it. He was still 6'5", about 230, but uh, he, he just didn't have the skills to do that. And, and me as a baseball player, you know, I don't want to stand there and someone is throwing some pee at 95 miles per hour at me. <laughs> I, I didn't want to do that, and I didn't like playing outside in the dust and dirt all the time. So basketball was my game, and that's what I eventually – uh, you know, went to and stayed in for years and years. So it's been just a, a, a great career to be a part of something that's going to last forever in, in my mind and also a lot of people's mind. So how do you go from playing in Franklinton, North Carolina, to be recruited by UCLA and the legendary coach John Wooden? Well, you know, Coach Wooden uh, had a basketball camp in Bowie Creek, North Carolina, and there was a lady in South Carolina who – uh, knew of Kenny Washington, who played at UCLA years before I did. And she saw me play, and she recommended me to UCLA. And UCLA came through. They saw me play one game. They, they said, well, we're not really sure if he can play at UCLA, that, that caliber of basketball. And uh, they saw me play a second game that said, you fit UCLA. So I went out on a visit. I loved it out there. I'd never been to California in my life. Uh, totally different world for me. And I decided to go to school there. And um, the rest is history. 
In case you're just tuning in, we're talking to former Nick great Henry Bibby. It's hard to believe that Coach Wooden has been guard for seven years now, so there are many out there in our listening audience that really don't know much about him. He was renowned for his short, simple, inspirational messages to his players, including his pyramid of success. These often were directed at how to be successful in life as well as basketball. What were some of the life lessons that you learned from playing for him? Well, he, you know, Coach was a was a great man. Again, at 18 years old, you said, "Oh, guy like Coach Wooden, you don't you don't want to learn anything from him." But you know, I learned more about Coach uh, as I as I grew older and after I finished playing uh, college basketball and started to coach, uh, I, I spoke with him a lot in regards to you know why would he wear why would you put on two pair of socks? You know, I didn't know that, and and uh, he, you know he taught us how to tie your shoes and he taught you about discipline and. You know, I remember, remember he would say, discipline yourself where others don't have to. Just little things like that that um, that stayed with me. And I was with him uh, three days before he passed away, and, you know, he was still just as sharp mentally, but physically uh, it had taken his toll on him. But what a great man. What an iconic basketball coach. It would probably never be another coach like that to win as many championships as he did. And, and uh, you know, it's just it's sad to see someone like that pass on, but he's, he left so many people behind uh, who's going to carry on his legacy. Uh, what, what a great person, a great Christian, great family man, uh, and as we all know, a great fundamentalist in, in teaching basketball and something that I've done my whole career through playing and coaching. And if I don't have a guy like a James Foster, I don't have a guy like you know my dad, I don't have a guy like Coach Wooden, then I'm, I'm not the, the player and coach that I that I became and am today. You know, one of the big changes in college basketball, and you've seen it obviously as a college basketball coach, is the one and done. How do you think Coach Wooden would have reacted to the the one and done, uh, you know, situation scenario. everybody's scenario everybody's in now? You know, I I think he would have made an adjustment. He's a very very intelligent man and. Uh, he he knew how to get the best out of everybody. So, I, you know, I think he would have adapted to it. I, I don't think he would have liked the rule because he was really big on education. He was really big on family settings and situations. So I, I don't don't think he would have liked it from that standpoint because, you know, over a four-year period of time, I learned fundamentals. I don't think I could have gone and played in the NBA uh, my first year. Uh, not the way it was at that point in time. Right now you have so many young guys in, so a first-year guy comes in, he's playing against second-year guys. So it's not that big a discrepancy uh, from the standpoint of um, how many years they've been in the league. But, you know, during that time, when I played, it was like everyone has spent four years in the NBA. So when you go in, you go in, you're basically seasoned. You have four year, more years of growth, four more years of maturity, opposed to right now when you're going in, you know, 18 years old, guys are being drafted. They're 18 years old. I think the first guy from Washington that was picked is 18 and 19 years old. So uh, no one really ever went into the NBA at that age. We would go in at the time of age 22, 23, which you have more maturity. So I think it would have been tough for him. But, uh, again, a, a great mind, great basketball guy. He would have figured out a way to, to get the guys to play one year and do, do very well, like most of the coaches are doing, like Calipari, Kentucky. Each year he has to turn over a player, and he does a great job of being able to keep consistency going uh, every year with guys being one and done. 
as we mentioned under Coach Wooden, you won three straight NCAA men's Division One basketball championships. No other team had won more than two in a row. You went 47 games without a loss. Of all those games and championships, is there one moment for you that describes your UCLA basketball experience? Well, you know, I think we were we were in Washington, in Oregon, and we were I think was doing that streak, and uh, we had had a lot of uh, we had had some problems that year with with guys you know, thinking about the NBA and going to the NBA. And uh, there was a game that we played and we were down and, and uh, we were supposed to beat Oregon by 25 and 30 points. And we ended up uh, winning at the buzzer, basically, because I, I made a steal at half court to, to win. So it was kind of, you know, the, the um, kind of like the like UCLA basketball. UCLA, you're supposed to win. Everybody knows you're supposed to win. That's stands out in my mind that whatever game we were in, we knew we could win. So it's kind of something that goes with being a UCLA player is knowing you can win no matter what. It's interesting. And with Facebook Live, we do get a lot of interaction with with our listeners and and viewers, and one of which is a former guest of ours as well, Christopher Bolton. Um, great from Rent a Goalie is one of the, the one of my all time favorite series. Um, Chris is a coach in Toronto, a different sport of hockey. He sent in this question. He said he has a team that plays to the level of the competition they're playing. Um, it's common and it works great when the team is you know an, an elite team and that team is right there with them. But when they're playing a team against less skilled, less committed players, they kind of play down to that level. Did you as a coach or Coach Wooden, did you guys have any techniques to, to you know make sure that when you were playing a team that you should beat, that you go out there and you just you know put your foot on their neck and finish the job? You know, I, I don't it's, it's a very, very interesting question and uh, a lot of teams sometimes play to the level of their competition. I think the coach being the, the head leader of the group has to make his practices so intense and so competitive every day that this is the way they perform. You can't have any let-ups. When you have let-ups in practices and, and, and kids are really smart, they read all situations when you're ready and when you're not ready. The coach has to come prepared every day to have the highest level of competition in practice, competing. And I think once you develop that sense of competing every day, it's going to carry over to the game. You don't have that let-up. You, you, you have your foot on that throttle every day you go out to play. And and you talk about winning. Coach would never talk about losing. I, I don't think I ever heard him say lose one time in four years. He always talked about winning. He was positive. He spoke positive things every time we played, every time we practiced. We practiced. And every practice was competitive. Every practice was, was, was uh, tougher than every game that we played. So when we played in a game, it was easy, and our level of competition was so high because of the competition we had in practice. So I think he has to, coach, uh, has to get the competition in practice way above what a game would be, and it carries over. And, again, uh, his positive attitude towards the players and getting the right players on on the team that that would have the, the right attitude about winning, then you're going to have it. It's going to carry over every day like, the Golden State Warriors did. Uh, if I, I can surely say one thing about Bolts. He is a positive guy. I would love to watch his team play as well. Um, we're, we're speaking to Henry Bibby. 1972 NBA draft, you're drafted in the fourth round by the Knicks and in the second round of the 1972 ABA draft by the Carolina Cougars. You opted to play for the New York Knicks. Why the NBA over the ABA at that time? 
Well, uh, you know, I had an agent, Sam Gilbert, out of out of Los Angeles, and uh, he was an NBA guy. And the, during that time, the uh, ABA wasn't what it, what it was years later. Uh, it was kind of not real money they were throwing out. Uh, it wasn't any uh, longevity in the league. So the NBA, I knew, had longevity, and uh, you know, I couldn't I couldn't play for a better team than the Knicks. That the people they had on that team and. Uh, it was the best experience, the best, it's one of the best decisions I've made other than going to UCLA was being drafted by the New York Knicks. And uh, Red, Red Holzman is like a top-notch <laughs> organization, the, the best organization you could be playing for. So how different were the messages and the coaching styles of Coach Wooden and Coach Holzman? You know, it, it wasn't much. Uh, the only difference was is that we had so many great players in New York that knew how to play. Earl Monroe came. Walt Frazier, Dave DeBusher, Jerry Lucas, uh, you know Bill, Senator Bill Bradley, Phil Jackson, uh, uh, Dick Barnett, Dean Memmerger. All these guys were were very very talented, knowledgeable, winning players coming from winning programs, uh, and and they carried on a lot of the fundamentals of what Coach uh, Coach Holzman wanted to do. He's very, they were very similar in their styles of, of discipline, uh, being organized every day in, in their practices and. I think that's what I took from Coach Wood and from, you know, Coach Holzman, uh, in 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 uh, being disciplined and having players play and and reach their potential. So it was it was it was just great for me leaving UCLA, going to a team like the Knicks, where I, where I wasn't ready ready to play, and that's why I played so many years because, you know, going to the Knicks, I gained so much experience playing behind, you know, Frazier Monroe. Uh, Dick Barnett practicing with him every day, and Dean Memmerger. I gained so much experience that it gave me longevity in the NBA, and it gave me longevity in coaching. Uh, just being a part of that group and being, you know, from UCLA and, and being under John Wooden. It's also interesting to note that the assistant coach on the Knicks at that point, not a slouch either, and Dick McGuire as well. So, I mean, great basketball minds right there. So you, you take a look and you reflect on it, that you go from, you know, playing for Coach Wooden, winning those three straight championships, and then you make it to the NBA, and you win an NBA championship. Did you, you, know, did you ever like, wonder, like, when is this ride going to end, and how am I going to be able to deal with not being a champion? You know, I, I expected to win when I, when I had gone to the Knicks. I'd like to say a three NCAA championship at UCLA. I, you know, was, I walked into a great group uh, of guys and a great organization. Uh, then I go from there to the Jazz, who was totally opposite. <laughs> you know, everybody's laid back, and you know, Pistol Pete was the show, and people came to see Pistol Pete only. And that was different for me. That was really tough for me to make the adjustment. So I leave there, and I go back to the 76ers, which was another great organization for me. I went in and played. I was with a good group that was organized and a group that wanted to win. So I, I had I had some good years. Uh, of being in the NBA with some good, good teams, and, and uh, it was just such a great experience for me to, to be a part of those groups, and, and I'll never forget those memories. So of the 675 times you pulled the jersey over and started on an NBA court, who was the toughest opponent for you to ever defend? You know, it's, there are so many good basketball players. You know, you look at Nate Archibald, you know, New York Bronx guy, just unbelievable player. Uh, practicing against Earl Monroe and Walt Frazier <laughs> and Dick Barnett every day is like 
man, how, how good you have to be to play in the NBA. Then you go and play in, in New Orleans with Pistol Pete Maravich, who I think is one of the top white basketball players of all times that can just do it. I mean, just do it with anybody. And, and, and people didn't think he was that good because he was white. I'm saying, this guy can play with anybody. It doesn't matter. You know, he could play. You know, playing with guys like that and, and um, just being a part of, of those teams. It's, it was just uh, just so many, so many great players. You look at, you know, John Havlicek, uh, JoJo White, wow. uh, Dave Cowens, of, just of the Celtics. You know, I got in on the end of Larry Bird, how good he was. I remember my buddy Caldwell Jones and I were sitting in, uh, we were sitting in Atlanta, uh, you know, just watching TV and it was Saturday and, and Larry Bird was on TV in college playing. And Caldwell Jones said, I, man, I can't wait till he get in. We're just going to beat up on him and kill him. <laughs> he gets in, and he eats us up one day, and Caldwell's guarding him. So after the game, I said, Caldwell, you remember, this is the same guy we saw on TV, you know, last year talking about <laughs> him, okay? And he comes and just beats us up. So there, there are so many great players that I've seen play. You know, I saw Will Chamberlain play. I saw Jerry West play. Uh, Gail Goodridge, you know, people like that. It goes back years and years of, of seeing all these great players play, and, and they're good. I, I can't pick out one that – that, uh, but guys like Nate Archibald would give me a lot of trouble because it was so quick, so crafty. Calvin Murphy, uh guy 5'9", gives you all kind of trouble. Then you guard a guy like Walt Frazier, who's just big and strong. And then you guard a guy like Earl Monroe, who's so crafty with the ball. I mean – you could go. There's so many guys that I can throw out there, guys that uh, that's been so tough to play against. You know, it's so funny. Like in the open, you said, "Did I have to go back that far?" And these names that you're, <laughs> you know, Nate. When you said right. Nate Tiny Archibald, I have the visual of it. You know, watching the the, the games on right. NBC when they used to do one on one in between uh, the halftime, and, and some of the greats, JoJo White, some of the awesome players of my oh. youth that you just mentioned, really brought me back. You know, as a point guard. You were the guy who facilitated, you know, play on the offensive end of the floor. You thrive with the ball in your hand. Basically, you were the coach on the floor. So, how much of the experience of playing point guard helped you to transition into being a coach? You know, sometimes it transitions well for people, and sometimes it does not. You know, I've kind of always wanted to be a coach, and and I always was a cerebral guy in um, in in approaching the game. So. It was really, it was really kind of easy for me uh, when I first went to UCLA. They had me at a point guard. Then I went to an off guard. Uh, then I went back to uh, the point guard my junior year, and that's when I had a really bad year uh, because I had played mostly off guard. But uh, as I made the adjustment and, and I, I realized how important the point guard was on the team and how he, he basically made the team go. He ran everything. He knew all the plays. He knew where people should be. So it was just, uh, it, it, it came upon me as I, I kept moving through my career. And when I, when I was with the 76ers, that's all I played was point guard up until my last year. Um, but it was, it was just great, you know, being on a team like that and guys are looking for you. Dr. J said, well, what are you going to call this time? I was like, the legendary Dr. J is asking you, you know, what are you going to call? So, you know, again, it gave me a lot of responsibility. Uh, it gave me a lot of leeway to, to develop and being that leader and, and uh, that coach on the floor that, that I needed to have been. 
you know, you take a look. We mentioned, you know, Coach Wooden and Red Holtzman, but you also played for Butch Van Bredekoff, Gene Shu, Billy Cunningham, and Paul Silas. When you became a head coach, of those guys, who do you think you were the most similar to, or do you think you were pretty much a composite of all of them? You know, that, that's a very, very good question, and, and very few people have asked me that question. But, you know, you take a little bit of each one. You know, we look at Butch Ben Berdikoff. He was more of a showman. And I was, a, I was a kind of a showman at times, too, with the officials, and that's what Butch did. He went after the officials all the time, every time he got a chance. Uh, you know, I learned a lot from, from Billy Cunningham and Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly was so good. Uh, with the X's and O's that he put up. I, I picked some of what he did. Uh, Billy was excellent with the players. He, he communicated with the players well. They wanted to play for him. Uh, you know, guys like that. Uh, you look at Paul Silas, who played in the NBA, who got a lot of respect. So, you know, a lot of the players respected me because I played in the NBA for so many years. So you kind of take would take a lot of what all these coaches gave you. Red Hoseman was big on defense. Coach Wood was big on fundamentals. So I've kind of packaged that whole pack in to, um, to, to what, I, what I do and, and uh, you know, try to pack that into some of the things I'm doing now with my, my basketball that I invented, my dribble pro basketball. I try to put all these fundamentals into that that I could put in where I could teach and, and let each kid be the, you know, have their own trainer being with me to learn the fundamentals of, of what the game is all about. So uh, all that goes into play of, of what kind of person I am today coaching-wise. So you went and you coached in the CBA, and that you won two championships there, and that was really quite a training ground and breeding ground for coaches because you coached against Phil Jackson, George Carl, Flip Saunders, Dave Cowens, Bill Musselman. So what was it like coaching against each of those guys? And I hate to ask this, how much does it bother you that they had their NBA chances, you hadn't had you haven't had yours yet. Well, you've been you've been like read my book or something or what? You know, it's like <laughs> you know, it's at the time these guys weren't they were like me. They were just regular coaches in the CBA trying to make it. That's what they were doing. Um, no glamour or anything like that. I you know I talked to Phil Jackson before. He, he got the job in, in uh, Chicago, and, and Phil was getting ready to quit basketball a year before he got the job up there as an assistant coach because he had been in the, in the CBA for a few years, and, and um, it was tough for him to get up. And, you know, Flip hadn't gotten there yet. Uh, Flip had had a lot of good teams. And um, so, you know, it was, it was okay being there. But like you're, the question you're asking, uh, how did I feel with those guys going up? I felt I never got a chance to – to coach at that level. I'm one of the third winningest coaches uh, in the CBA history of coaches of wins. And, um, you know, I, I won a couple of championships and all that, and I never got the break to get there. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, have, I have different feelings about that because I was hoping I would get a break to be there. You know, luckily, uh, God blessed me to be a college, a college coach. Or he had me in a situation where I could help people. So, you know, we're put on earth for different reasons. And we're put on earth, I feel, to sometimes bridge the gap between, you know, young kids that may need it, or older kids that may need it. So, I, you know, that's kind of where I go with my head now and looking back that I didn't get the shot because I was supposed to do something else. 
and and uh, I think I helped a lot of guys in the minor leagues. I'm still friends with a ton of guys. They stay in touch with me. We have great stories. Um, I have great stories with all my my relationships with my college guys, uh, and and I'm I'm happy with that. I, I became a, an assistant coach for, for years and years in the NBA, and again I never got that opportunity, but. It, it was good. I, I can't look back and say uh, that it was bad, that, that it didn't happen for me. Some good things happened for me, and a lot of good things came out of it. So, uh, again, I, I'm happy with it. I wish I could have got a head coaching job. That's what I wish for. But, you know, it's not always in your cards. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't shut the door completely. And, and here, here's a very interesting question. Uh, how do you think you'd be able to coach in teaching the triangle offense? <laughs> You're trying to get me with the Knicks, okay? Well, you know, uh, well, you do know a guy I there. Wish that on anybody these days, wish anybody coaching for the Knicks. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I wish he would give me a call and say, "Hey, let's talk <laughs> about it." Uh, you know, I do have the experience. Uh, you know, I've, I, again, I've I've coached players that have been difficult to coach at times. <laughs> Um, I, think I, I wonder who you're them. alluding to right oh now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think I can coach players like that. That's one of my my key points is being able to relate relate to players, and that's what good coaches do. Good coaches can relate to players and bring out the best. You know, all these players need love. I don't I don't care who they are. Um, you know, Carmelo Anthony at least needs love. Needs a lot of love. You know, how do you get him to reach a, to, to get to another level? Uh, it's, it's very simple if you take time to, to work with a guy like that, to gain the trust, the respect that you need, give him what he needs, and you win games. It's, it's not tough. It's not tough. But, you know, you've got to bend over to the players. You've got to work with them. You've got to understand them. Um, and Great they have point. to understand you. The key is, do they want to play for you? Or does their president want them playing? That, that's the other thing. It's got to come from the top <laughs> down. You know, you can't be bad-mouthing your players when you got to put them out on the court. Uh, aside from your great career as a coach, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me what all these Nick guys have gone on to do. Um, you designed the Dribble Pro 3-in-1 training basketball to bounce like a traditional basketball and have an anomaly occur every four or five bounces when a nodule hits a surface. The anomalies are designed to increase hand-eye coordination, speed balance, and improve fundamental skills for dribbling and rebounding. What made you come up with the idea, and how does it improve players' ball-handling abilities? You know, I, you know to, to learn something, you have to have fun. That's the only way you learn is to have fun in something that you're doing. So I, I had this basketball camp uh, in Los Angeles that I was doing, and, and this day, I didn't have enough basketballs to run this drill. I wanted to run a dribbling drill. So, I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't go get basketballs at that time. So I had a friend, and their family had all these basketballs I had given them throughout the three or four or five years that they'd been working my camp. And the balls were outside. And the sun had hit the balls, and the balls were lopsided. So I had no choice but to bring, like, ten of these balls in uh, to use in my dribbling drill. So I'm saying, gosh, man, I got to go buy, you know, 10 balls tomorrow. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about how much that's going to cost me. Let me use these balls today. So I put these balls out on the floor, and the kids are, like, so happy, having fun, playing games with the balls that are moving all over the place. 
and not not so erratic that they couldn't dribble the ball, but they had to focus on keep putting their hand on top of the ball, and 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 um, being able to move the ball where they wanted to move it in relation to their body and body and balance. And I'm saying, oh man, uh, in 1891, Dr. Naismith invented the basketball. In 2008. I found something else to add on to what he's doing <laughs> that hadn't that hadn't been out there, and I it took me six, seven, eight years to come up with this and to, to where to put the nodules on the ball, how far the nodules would would uh, hit and and bounce away from you, uh, and you still have control of the ball. And as we are doing this, there was a gentleman from from Hawaii who was part of this. This, looking at my basketball, and he said, Henry, to get the proper spin on the ball, we place the nodules where you can get the proper rotation. So it self-teaches you how to hold the ball to shoot it to get the same rotation that a Steph Curry gets on the ball without even knowing it. So the key was not to put your hand on any nodules, then you shoot the basketball correctly. So it's like a self-training tool. So we, we did the same thing with rebounding. If it hits one of these nodules, it moves on you. So it teaches you how to steal on the balls of your feet, keep your hands up, and move to get the basketball. Incredible idea, I thought. This is like ingenious to have a three-in-one training tool, which you're working with Henry Bibby every day. And for the price of the balls, man, the price of the ball is, is incredible because if you're looking at getting your own trainer, your own trainer is going to cost you probably a good trainer now. You can get a trainer for $25, but a good trainer who knows the game is going to cost you $150, $175 an hour. You get this basketball, it's going to teach you the, from the grassroots of how to dribble, keep your hand on top of the ball, you know, uh, you know, muscle, muscle memory, uh, hand-eye coordination, uh, uh, self-confidence, um, self-discipline. It's going to teach you all this. And when you get ready to shoot it, you're going to find the right seams on the ball. You can shoot it the right way to get the proper rotation on it, the proper spin. So when it hits, it dies on the backboard, and you make a higher percentage of shots. And the same goes for rebounding. So, I, you know, I think it's I think it's a great idea um, to, for kids to learn and to, and to be trained with Henry Bibby. You have your own trainer. Henry Bibby's your trainer. You know, every day when you were talking when you were talking about that and proper placement with the hands, and you know, you being a USC guy, there's a guy that just got drafted number two by the 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 uh, Lakers who has probably the most unorthodox shot in the world. I think he could probably benefit from the three and one dribble pro, don't you? And we're talking about Alonzo Ball. I'm gonna I'm gonna send him one. I'm gonna send him (laughs) one and and tell him to work on it. uh, De'Aaron Fox, who was drafted by Sacramento, I spoke with him a couple of days ago. I'm going to send him one as well because he's he's shooting, uh, I think he was shooting 25, 28% from the three-point line. This ball will help him get the right rotation on it to shoot it and how to hold it. Uh, you know, Rajon Rondo with Chicago has been using the ball. Uh, Rudy Gay with Sacramento has used the ball. Mike Conley with Memphis, you know, works out with the ball. So there are, there are guys that are working with this ball that are in the NBA as well. I mean, you can all, you, you never stop learning. Right. You never stop learning on how to be a better basketball player. I remember years ago, my son Mike, 
Uh, you know, he wasn't a jumper. He didn't jump at all. He said he didn't jump throughout his career, but he jumped a little higher. I saw these jumping shoes that uh, they, I think they cost $125 at the time. I couldn't afford it. But you know what I wanted? I wanted my kid to be better than the next kid. So what is $100, $125 to help your kid be better than the next kid? My kid was jumping three inches extra using those shoes. So if you want, if you want your kid to have the edge in playing, then you have to find items and tools like this to help your kid get better. This will help your kid get better within a short, short period of time. You're talking about, we're talking about three or four days of using this ball, you're going to gain so much confidence. And that's what I like about it. It's about tricking the mind, getting the mind to do what you want to do, and believing that you're better than who you are. And this is what this ball does. And $125 probably paid off considering that Mike played over 1,000 right. games in the right. NBA, and his son is probably on the cusp of, of being in right. the NBA as well. So one of the other things you did about six months ago, you were inspired to run a basketball camp for homeless kids in Los Angeles. What inspired you to do that? What do you think the kids got out of it, and what did you get out of it? Well, you know, I, I was uh, I work out at I was working out uh, at one of the universities, and a special Olympics was going on at the time at UCLA, and I was over at UCLA just watching. I was over there when they watching, and I, I saw these group of kids that were, you know, disabled, and the kids were having so much fun, camaraderie, giving high fives. They they weren't looking to see who was making the basket or who was doing this and who was doing that. And I said, said to myself, gosh, I'd like to be a part of something like this. And I said, you know, um, what do I want to do? There were, like, um, different organizations I wanted to go with, and it was nothing pertaining to homeless kids, um, at-risk kids, foster kids. There was nothing out there like that. And I said, let me do – let me put on some basketball camps for some of the kids. They could never go to any camps because they couldn't afford to go to any camps. This is my legacy, what I wanted to give back, being a basketball player. I could give them basketball information, uh, I could, and, and that could relate to, uh, you know, health, you know, food, physical activity that would keep them, keep them happy, and they were having fun playing basketball. So I, I started it kind of that way, and uh, it's, it's just, it's, it was a pleasure. I took the kids to... Um, a Clipper game, and they were on this bus, and they got off the bus, and they all ran and hugged me. And, you know, we sat in the nosebleed section, but I appreciate <laughs> the Clippers giving us tickets to, to be there because these kids had never been there before. So, you know, there are 26,000 homeless kids in Orange County. It's over 2 or 3 million throughout the country. Uh, these are homeless kids. These are at-risk kids. These are foster kids. And nothing's being done. So I, I want to reach out and help some of these kids uh, be happy, smile, put a smile on their face, and, and share some information with them that they probably never heard before. They went to the game. They met Jamal Crawford. Uh, they met Sam Cassell, one of the coaches who came. These guys came over and talked to these kids. I mean, they had never experienced that before. So it was really gratifying for me to see that. And the legacy that I want to leave is, you know, one of these kids turn their life around and say, Gosh, I remember Henry Bibby when he took us to the Laker game and how he hugged to the Clipper game, how he hugged us and he hung with us and and all that stuff that goes with it. That's that's what makes me feel good about it. 
You know, this past year, the Golden State Warriors have gotten so many props as one of the all-time great teams in NBA history. Uh, you know, again, my, my, you know, what would you call it, my sweet spot for basketball being my basketball fandom is probably 69 to probably 80, you know, especially with, with the Knicks. Um, I'm wondering how you think that championship New York Knicks team with Frazier Monroe, Reed DeBusher, Bradley, then you, Phil Jackson, Jerry Lucas, Dick Barnett, Dean the Dream Meminger, not to mention fan favorite Hawthorne Wingo off the bench, would match up against them. Uh, obviously, it's a different game you know, that's played now than back then, but how do you think you guys would match up, and who would be the key matchup in a series like that, and who would win? <laughs> you know, I was, I, you know, I wish I had a. Um, I, I wish I could say I, I don't know. I, you know, like you said before, it's um, it, it's a different time. Uh, you know, we had Willis Reed that was a low post player. Uh, there are really no low post players anymore in the NBA. You know, look at Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was a heck of a player. He doesn't exist anymore. He's a dinosaur because of what Golden State has done. I think the game has changed. I think uh, I think Walter Frazier would have been pretty tough on Kevin Durant. Uh, I think you know he could awesome match up. Wow. <laughs> I think I I could match him up and he would be okay. And uh, you know it's just um, yeah. You know I think Bill Bradley would would do very well. You know he's very similar to what they do in the way of constant motion, constant moving. Uh, it, it would have been an interesting, interesting game. It's just uh, Golden State is really good. They they are one of the best teams I've seen from you know one to ten. They're good. They they don't have many drop offs. They have so many weapons, uh, and the Knicks had a lot of weapons. Yeah. But um, you know, Golden State has guys that beat you off the dribble. Everybody beats you off the dribble. Uh, Bill Bradley wasn't that type of player. Uh, you know, he was more a motion player, but Clay Thompson can beat you off the dribble. Ikadala can beat you off the dribble. Durant, Curry—they have so many players that that uh, that that do so many things uh, that are, that are athletically inclined that it makes it tough to guard. That dynasty is going to go for two or three more years if if they don't break it up or free agency catches up with them. I don't see anyone really beating them. I'm just wondering what that Nick team would have been like if you added the three the three point line. You know, obviously Jerry Lucas and Bradley and DeBusha, I think they would be hitting from there as well. So you know, it, that's one of the reasons why it's a different game. Do you think you guys would have been able to shoot threes with the way that Golden State does? Would you be able to keep up with them? You know, Jerry Lucas can shoot threes with anybody. Right. Yeah. You know, Bill Bradley can shoot threes with anybody. Well, Dave DeBusha, you know, great great three point shooter. You know, uh, you know, Earl wasn't really a three-point shooter, but he was, he was just a crafty player. You know, Walter Frazier could shoot threes. You know, I, I was known to shoot threes. So I, I think we can match up with them shooting threes. Uh, I think, you know, we have, um, you know, Lucas and Willis could probably match up with Draymond Green because he's not really a one-on-one player. He's kind of a fancier shooter, and we could, we could defend him pretty well. But they, they are really good. I give them credit, and, you know, I – Every a lot of teams said they could beat them. Chicago said they could beat them with no problem. They're not that easy to be beat. Okay. Right. <laughs> that being said, are you surprised that that Nick team was the last New York Nick championship team? 
I, you know, I'm not surprised. Um, we had a reunion, I think, four or five years ago, and just the array of players. It's, that team was similar to Golden State with so many good players on it. You know, you had two Hall of Fame point guards. Right. You know, you have you know two Hall of Fame uh, starting forwards. You have a Hall of Fame center. You, you, you have just uh, an array of great players on that Knicks team. Uh, Jerry Lucas didn't even start, and he was an all-pro, you know? Uh, you know, Phil Jackson came in and did what, what he does, you know, to win games. So uh, it, it was a great, great team and, and just a lot, a lot, a lot of good players. Coach, thanks so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. More importantly, thank you uh, for being a part of uh, the last Nick championship I might ever know. <laughs> I appreciate that as well. Um, well, it and, doesn't look like it on the horizon, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't, unfortunately. Uh, where can people find out more about the Dribble Pro? You go to dribblepro.com. Uh, love for them to come on, take a look, and see what we're all about, and and get a ball. If if you're interested in your kid being better than the next kid, this is the, this is the ball you go and get. You're training with me. You're training with Henry Bibby every day with this basketball. I'm your, tra- I'm your personal trainer. That's what I look at it and say. Can't get better than that. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Our yeah. pleasure. Henry Bibby, three-time NCAA champ, member of the last wow, yeah. New York Knicks championship team. All right, so okay. we're going to take a break. We're working on some things. Our, our right. second guest okay. has run into some trouble. We're not.